Well, hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, where we are focusing on the Premier Club competition in South American club football. We are hosted by Mr. Ollie Wilson in his flat in Buenos Aires. Ollie, you get more casual every every time you host. He's in pyjama bottoms today, which I think you've pulled off somehow. Well, there's no need to dress up. I've got the flip-flops on as well, so it's like smart casual. That's a hell of a look. These are the flip-flops I wear to work, by the way, So, and there's... Very much a lot of proof of that. So nice chalk and cheese with Vickery's suit and tie as well. Very much so. Well, I I liked the flip-flop shirt, jacket and smart beat shorts that I wore last (laughs) a couple of months ago, which was a bit of a fun one. Vickery and I were very similar in our dress sense, I think. Also joined by Mr. Joel Richards, who's peeled himself away from the world of South American politics. I know you're always on the road, road, Joel. So thank you very much for giving up your time tonight. Thank you very much for, for inviting me along. It's fantastic to be here. Who can we slag off? Galazzo, Peter Coates, well, there was, was not here tonight. There was a sale on at the Adidas outlet. And there was a lot of very old school trainers I that he had he to buy. I thought he was watching fourth division Argentine Friday night football. Really. No, he's got a Saturday. No, he had the reserves earlier today, I think. That, hey, yeah, Rosario reserves. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. The hair uh, gets in the way when he's travelling <laughs> as well. And uh, Nico, the Boca fan, is in California. I think he's just sat on a throne of smugness after winning on the opening day of the season and getting past Atletico Paranaense, <laughs> which I guess we'll get into in the podcast at some point. Absolutely. Uh, enjoy the podcast. La Bombonera on a Libertadores night. There are few, if any, more impressive sights and sounds in South American club football. Three against two. Guerrero, can he do it again late on? He finishes. Bang! Apina takes it down, takes the strike on! but it was always going to happen. I don't think it was ever really in doubt. This Cruzeiro side's got so many problems on and off the pitch and you just felt it was always going to happen. That said, it was a big surprise the way Gachardo went about it. He had to change quite a lot, especially at the back where he had injuries, there were suspensions. But in particular, what was exciting, what was very interesting was seeing this lad, Carascal, Jorge Carascal, the young Colombian lad. They call him the Colombian Neymar I think it's still with that comes both the good and the bad. Sure. A lot of talent, still needs a lot of work on it. He had a really good game though, but it was just a real gamble because it was, this was only his, his fifth match for River Plate and he, he turned it on. He was a real thorn in the side for, for Cruzeiro. That said, they didn't go through, they didn't create enough. I think nil-nil on, on the night was probably a fair enough uh, result but they've just got the temperament the river have got something else going on it's not but is just... it is it that river fans trust the squad or do you just trust gashado to get it done it's definitely gashado there's still the squad and there are players coming through but you look at the way the penalties were taken a couple of the really important players who would have been on the would have been taking penalties yeah. nacho fernandez lucas prato they'd been subbed off so you're thinking you're looking around saying who's going to take these penalties sure. martinez quarter steps up uh-huh. brilliantly uh-huh. brilliantly taken Right back, Montiel, as well. Just, I mean, he took it as if Alan, he was Alan Shearer. Top corner, smashed it. It was, it was brilliantly taken. And so there's, there's just something going there. There's the temperament uh, amongst the players. But it, it does all come back to Gachardo. He's, he's a tactical genius. Uh, he's, he's, he's got the belief. He's, and he's the, the best coach on the continent, him. right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think and how long any... before he's in Europe? Because for me... I mean, you know far more. You, you know you know far more about River, but I just and people think this isn't important. But how he looks is important, and he looks so sharp on the touchline. You know, and people think oh, it doesn't matter. But Marco Silva and the, like, has made a career out of it. Right? Well, it's like the idea of setting the tone when you go into a dressing room. Sure. Like, obviously, I get all of my football information here from Uber drivers on the way to work. But one of the Uber drivers this week was telling me that Gabriel Heinze, when he went into uh, Vélez, uh, kind of said, "I want everybody to call me Mister." And all of these Velez players who, again, the Uber driver's words described as they're just savages, were like, we're not calling you mister. What is going on here? You don't get our respect in that way. But Gachado, you imagine going into a dressing room, the way he looks, the way he acts, is charismatic down on the touchline. You kind of head to turn and be like, OK, yeah, all right. The, this the is players look, look like they like him as well. 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. He, he's he's young. He's he's what early forties, so he's still there's not there's not that distance okay. in terms of the in terms of age, and 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 Gashado just has something at River Plate, which is he grew up, you know he came up through the youth system, he won it all as a player, but he's a player who probably didn't, and I think this is partly where his, part of his drive comes from. As a player, he didn't perhaps go where he should have done. You know, he, he went to he went to, to France. He played at PSG, obviously, long before the money came in. So that's the in. fire. I, I think so. And then and then within that, there's also at River Plate the fact that they were so behind Boca when it comes to the international trophies, mm. and, and still are, and they still are. But because of him, they've clawed a lot of that space back. They're they're not they're not they're still far off catching up completely, but. They've changed the story. The narrative's different, and that's, that is because of him. Uh, it's, it's just a fascinating story. As for when he leaves, that's the big question mark. There's a gentleman, his contract basically has a gentleman's agreement that River won't stop him if the offers come in. And there was talk when uh, Thierry Henry was leaving at Monaco that there was. Yeah, that I was possibly that in Because European he played media, there, yeah. you know. So, that, so there was that option. But I still think he's got a bit of. He still feels there's a bit more to be done. So if, he did, if he did back to back, though, would that be one of those moments where you think. I can't do three in a row. I've taken you as far as I can in terms of reducing that gap to Boca and the Libertadores trophy. So, especially if he does back to back beating Boca in the final, then he beats Boca in the semi finals this year on route yeah. to winning it. Do you walk away then? Sure, you're, we're getting massively ahead of ourselves, aren't we? But, no, but no, you're right, you're right. But, yeah. but you're right, yeah. You've got Boca, probably got Boca in the semi final. Yeah. If it obviously, if both, in, if both the quarters were. Counting out Windsor's hipster team there, by the way. Yeah, we'll get on to them in a minute, yeah. I mean, he, the time to go was probably after the first Libertadores because arguably it was unlikely that he would be able he would get the the resources to build another team because obviously the second any South American side wins the Libertadores or indeed the Sud Americana clubs come take the players and that's exactly what happened there's only one player from the 2015 squad still at the club and that's because he's into his late 30s now Leo Poncio wow. the captain uh, so all the others have gone it's in a completely different squad so that's always going to happen so in a sense you think he won the Sudamericana in 2014. 2015 won the Libertadores with all the epic that came with it. Um, and at that point, you sort of think, well, there's nowhere else to go. But there was. And, I th and so there is just the question, when will he fit it be enough for him? And he just had another kid, right? Well, he's just had another kid. But more importantly, there's the kid who's in the under-16s at River. And one... Someone, I don't remember who, probably a taxi driver, said <laughs> that, uh, no, it was someone at River, that he kind of wants to be around for that one's development just for the next couple of years until he finishes essentially, what, secondary school, but also makes it through the youth system. Um, but then he, but that, that's it, he's got another one who's 12 about to join the club, so maybe he wants to stay for him to reach the, the first team as well. But he's already given a debut to one of his boys, so he, perhaps he's holding on for another one. Always good to be in cahoots with the gaffer in some way, shape <laughs> or form, isn't it? That's... Quite a nice way. Definitely. In terms of their performance over two legs against Cruzeiro, do you look at, okay, no goals is slightly worse. I know Cruzeiro, one of the better sides in this competition, were very impressive in the group stage, but it does seem that River haven't quite electrified yet, particularly against Brazilian opposition. They haven't beaten a Brazilian side and they've had four games against Brazilian teams now. And they're going to face, if they get to the final, they're guaranteed, guaranteed to face Brazilian opposition. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what's interesting about the draw, isn't it? They're definitely going to have a Brazilian side there. I think, I mean, you've, you've both seen them as well. I think we've, we'd all agree, wouldn't we? They haven't really got out of, I'd say, third gear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're not a dynamic, exciting side, necessarily. In fits and spurts, they kind of are. Around the 18-yard box, there's little triangle plays in the corner of the penalty area that open up half chances in the channels. And they, but they also get away with murder every so often at the back. I mean, that's saved by Armani that ricochets off him and onto the crossbar and away. It was just, that could have been a defining oh, moment. That for goes in, yeah. It? Yeah, it's, it's very different. Yeah, I think they, they brought in Paulo Diaz, the Chilean Really uh, wanted international. him well, didn't <laughs> Yeah, it's been very tough. It's been the ongoing saga. They finally got him, so he will help out in defence. When Pinola, Javier Pinola, comes back, there'll be experience and, and a bit of quality there. Robert Rojas, who's the Paraguayan international who they brought in as well, is, is very promising, still very raw. But yeah, they've got big problems at the back. They've, in the group stage, they really focused on Ignacio Fernandez, who, you know, he was really important in the final against Boca. He started the move for the equaliser that Prato scored. But I still feel they're not quite gelling with Borre, the Colombian, who's very mobile. But I feel they haven't quite worked out just how they're going forward. So they've relied a lot on, on Fernandez and also the young Uruguayan, um, Nico de la Cruz. I like him. Yeah, he's, but he's something I, there. There is. I just wonder whether 
he can really come in and boss a game. Okay. I'm not sure that he's quite at that level just yet. I think he can come on and make an impact from the bench in terms of fresh legs, young, excitable player with bags of talent in front of him. No, no, for sure, for sure. So I think whatever happens at River, they, they may or may not be able to bring in another player as well. But uh, the quality's there. And as you rightly said, most importantly, the, the main weapon is, is Gashadl. So River through them, squeezed through on penalties, and they will face Sarah Potenio, who put out San Lorenzo over two legs. Should get through that, really. Absolutely. The firm favourite to make it to the first name in the uh, semi-finals. Is that based on resources or based on quality? I've, I have to say I've not seen much of Sarah Potenio aside from the highlight show that we do and, sure. and catching clips on it. I've, I've not sat through a full game of a Sarah Potenio. I'm disappointed San Lorenzo have gone out because Colaccini's my favourite player in the competition. I just, I they were, they've been the worst Argentinian side that I've watched on this continent so far in, the other in day, either he competition. Was saying that you loved their chance, and he was walking into the office humming the San Lorenzo. I love the chance. <laughs> yeah, we all drink wine from a carton and smoke all the marijuana. It might be one of the best football chants that I've heard of thirty thousand people embracing their just downright dirtiness at times. Well, Argentine football fan, uh, fans are all very famous for their creativity and the chance. San Lorenzo, one of, uh, one of the famed ones, Maradona actually said there he always had a lot of respect for the San Lorenzo supporters because they had the most inge ingenious uh, lyrics yeah, and, nice. and, and songs. So they're, they're very well famed. But Wilson, often being, comparing Wilson to yeah, Diego Maradona. Often being compared to Diego Maradona <laughs> as in a, a short chubby man in a football stadium yelling, <laughs> leaning over a tear and frustrating everybody below him. But yeah. But yeah, they were poor. I mean, San Lorenzo have been poor throughout the tournament. It's not really a surprise that they've, um, they've been knocked out. Couldn't really put a finger on who was going to go through in that one, though, out of Sarah Patenio and San Lorenzo, because neither side, to me, and again, I, I speak with a great deal of naivety as well, but neither side has really caught the eye in any way, shape or form with the play. Um, what did catch the eye in that game was what happened towards the end and afterwards, which was... What I always think of South American football kind of going over the edge a bit. A bit of naughtiness in the bit, stands. A bit of naughtiness in the stands, to say the least. A few chairs being thrown and uh, a couple of wire fences being broken. Half a course. Which, which a lot of people I've spoken to said it's almost nice to see the classic Libertadores feel coming back after they saw that, which was quite interesting to hear, rather than the kind of berating the hooligans. But <laughs> well, have we had a full all-out brawl yet? No, no I mean, that, that is, not it's, really. It's due, it's due. Uh, they'll probably video review it and decide it's not what, a full all-out brawl or something like that. What was that. the YouTube clip you were looking at the other day? Was it Colo, uh, Colo, Colo, Colo v. Boca, Boca Juniors 1991 with yeah. Batistuta going crazy. Police dogs on the pitch. Oh, and you don't have to go that far back at all, <laughs> yeah. though. You don't have to go that far back. I mean, Neymar, when they won when the, when the Libertadores with Santos, uh, Ganso, who's that side, against Peñarol, uh, end of that match. Fireworks. A bit lively. Check it out. So River three then against Sarah Porteño. They did score probably the best goal of this round, actually, Sarah. The diving header by Ruiz was oh, it's nice. magnificent. Love the ball, though. Yeah, Carrizo. If Carrizo hadn't scuffed this chance late on where it gets pulled back to him about 10 yards out and he decides to pitching wedge it over the top of the crossbar with nobody around him, he goes down as putting having a great performance because of a wonderful assist from the left side. Beautiful ball right onto the edge of the six-yard box at the far post. And Ruiz just comes flying in, diving header. And that's the goal that sends them through past San Lorenzo and sends Asunzion into hysterics. But again, it's the only bit of quality I've really seen so far. And I, yeah, I guess River's pedigree as well would mean that they're favourites in the quarterfinal against Yeah, absolutely. Them. It's got to be River through to the semi-finals, you would have thought. Did, did River go aggressive? against Cerro and try and kind of stamp authority. I don't want to get into the quarterfinals uh, quarter too much because we'll have a proper wrap-up, but brief early thought at least. Kind of, There'll be a massive weight of expectation on them. Try and put the tie to bed as quickly as possible. You would have thought so, as we said. They, they, we don't feel that River really got going yet. And I suppose you start reaching a point in the tournament where you think, well, when are they going to get going? You know, they can't just save it all for, you know, but there's still things aren't working. Still haven't got the, the, the fixed starting 11 that, where they know certain units work, um, you know, down the flank, up front, what have you. So, so yeah, you'd have thought they, they need to find their, their idea, their clear idea very soon. What about in terms of like the last five or 10 years? Have most sides that, that have won the Libertadores have won it in quite a defensive way? Is that fair? Like how many really free-flowing will outscore you sides have won it you know in uh, recent it's, times it's more defensive teams eh? yeah it has been and, and yeah it's an interesting question I think the format with the home and away format invited that 
you've got the away goal, you've got the, the that idea, you, you know, you've got to, yeah, you've got to protect, you've got to make sure on the first leg that you just keep it, you can go and perhaps away if you're the home side, obviously, and, 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 and chase the result that way. So perhaps this year, with the, just the, the one final, obviously in Santiago and Chile, perhaps that will change. But, but overall, though, we have to remember that in terms of the resources, the quality that there is in the South American game, it's difficult to really produce sides that, that know each other well, that, that can produce free-flowing football and attacking football uh, week in, week out. So it's very difficult to produce that. There's only one side that lost the first leg and went through in this round of 16, and that's Flamengo. Yeah, the only team that lost, and they lost on the road, uh, on the road, yeah. which kind of comes without goes without saying in in ball competition, really. So moving on, then Olympia Liga de Quito, Liga de Quito went through. This was in many ways the hipster tie of the round, I think. Added forward into a very dangerous position, chance here for the Liga, who find the back of the net and silence the stadium. Aguirre celebrating. Nice turn by Silva. That's a nice idea. Chance for an equaliser. He's tapped in as the arms get raised. Now, will it stand Mendieta? How they drifted offside. A lifeline for Olympia, which adds uh, pressure on uh, Mendieta, of course. A few more seconds to ponder what he's going to do. He's going to step forward and puts it wide. A crucial miss in this tie. Maybe, just maybe, too much time to think about that one. It was a weird choice. Bringing on the sub before the penalty was taken. Olympia, great. They were great fun to watch in the group. People, if you follow European football, Roque Santa Cruz is still still scoring goals at this level. They got the likes of, I mean, we've talked a lot about Nesta Camacho and Mendieta. Really, really exciting. And But they're out. Liga de Quito are through. We can't not talk about Liga de Quito without talking about altitude. Have you been to Quito? I've never been to Quito. Okay. We were with Nico last week, who's quite like an athletic guy. He plays football a few times a week. And he was saying that he could barely breathe. In Quito. And I always feel like people are exaggerating it, but I've never been to Quito, so I couldn't. On your travels, have you dealt with the... Out- for anybody that doesn't know, Joel does a lot of roaming around <laughs> South America for, for news agencies. Have you ever encountered the altitude and felt the effects just on your work trips or anything uh, in, in other I've, places? I've been to Bolivia several times. I was there in February for work and Humble that was break. at 3,700 metres, which is higher than Quito. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Very you, humble, you, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Quito, that's nothing. <laughs> but nothing. you can't, you can't breathe. You can't possibly, I mean, go for a run, you know, which uh, always try and, on the, when traveling, you figure try and do a bit of exercise or whatever there. It's com- Completely out the out of the question. And I heard on last week you were talking about the the theories about how to deal with it. Yeah. You're right. More recently, clubs try and arrive right before the game, so that it, there isn't quite that time. I don't quite buy into that whatsoever. But an interesting another tactic that's come in, in recently in recent years has been the use of Viagra as yeah. as an alternative to uh, to try that's and offset the uh, the effects, which never could could, could could in turn have uh, have another effect, I guess. But. Uh, <laughs> Could but inter- the, the, <laughs> I think that's the implied intention, is it not? No, I mean, we know it's really hard up in Quito to play there. But, uh, like, uh, but the theory that I read was that it's... You've, you've <laughs> it is so hard, isn't too it? Easy. But the theory that I read that is that you fly in as close to possible as kickoff, presumably so your body doesn't have time. I don't know whether you kind of trick your body into the altitude thing. And that's, that is a shift from the previous, let's get there a week in advance, let's acclimatise, let's get our bodies ready for this contest. So that's a relatively new theory, right? To go in just before kickoff. Yeah, it is. But again, I, I don't see how that works. I mean, anyone who's, who's if you fly into that, that well, altitude, and then you, no, but in terms of, you just walk off the plane and immediately it just hits you. So I don't see how that, I don't, mm. uh, purely anecdotal level, but sure. I, I'm, I don't know how that would, uh, how that would work. But Liga de Quito went through. I mean, again, they weren't great. No. They shot themselves in the and foot they could have wobbled with, with Julio getting sent yeah. off. Uh, Mendieta misses a penalty. It was actually a very interesting a comment pen, made on the broadcast, which was Olympia decided to make a change just before that penalty was taken. And did that play into Mendieta's mind being stood there for longer than necessary waiting to take this penalty while the change was being made. It just delayed it by another 30, 40 seconds or so. 
you do sometimes see players get a little frazzled and Olympia knew that was a huge moment in the game as well when they missed it in the, early in the second half. And it's a terrible penalty. Off target, you can't really yeah. say anything. And he scores that, you know, it's a great chance. But he didn't. <laughs> and, uh... They battered the house down Olympia. They really gave it a good go. Uh, chances are plenty. One cleared off the line. Rocky Santa Cruz had a couple of really good headers that ended up either being saved or put over the he top of the crossbar. He had one off his left boot as well. As I say, Mendieta had chances too. And it's a shame that we had to lose one of these teams because it would have been nice to see them both have an upset victory, perhaps in the round of 16 and knock one of the bigger boys out, for instance. And the monopoly of Brazilian and Argentine sides as well. It, especially, I imagine, outside Argentina and Brazil, it must get frustrating. You read about the Libertadores and you're basically just reading about Argentine and Brazilian sides. And also, and let's not forget, Olympia are the, are the king of cups in Paraguay. I mean, they're, they're one of the big sides in, in South America. And they've won Obviously, the, you know, they've, they've good they, history. In the, they've in the won it before. Yeah. They're back-to-back champions. They've got... A legend like Rocky Santa Cruz, whose whose career only just injury that kept him from being one of the, one of the greats in recent years. So it, it is tough to then be to knock to be knocked out at this stage in the manner in which they were. But but there is also the sense where you know we always talk about this this the, the resources available to the clubs, right? And even in we have to leave Brazil out of this because it's different there. But all the rest of the clubs, including Argentina, just are very limited. So. The quality they're able to bring in is, is difficult. But, but for a club like Olympia, it's very frustrating. They played very well. They've got a great tradition. They've got a great fan base. And, uh, and they make life very difficult for sides. But uh, this year wasn't to be. And Liga de Quito will play Boca in the quarterfinals. Which you were on on Wednesday night? Yeah. The tale thus far is this. One late goal from Alexis McAllister. One missed penalty from Marco Rubin. Two moments which have nudged the narrative in Boca's favour. Liga de Quito line waits in the last eight. Keep taking quickly. Alexis McAllister. It's a lovely short play through. It's a great chance. Unselfish. It's Nantes. Open the crossbar. It's blocked by Marcio Azevedo. Apila, Apila takes it down, takes the strike on, and fires Boca in front. It's a quite splendid goal from Apila. And Boca now are creeping towards the quarterfinals. Alexis McAllister switches the play intelligently, lining up inside the box, and oh, it squeezes in. It squeezes in for Boca. Smiles all around La Bombonera. Thoroughly deserved beating Atletico Paranense by two goals to nil. Come on, Boca. I mean, every time I've seen Boca, I always think the same thing, which is they're not very good. And I think most Boca fans would tell you that they're, they're pretty defensive. They're not great to watch. They played well, actually, Atletico Paranense just never showed up. Who did you like him uh, for Boca? Well, I liked the player who played his last game, Nandes. So the little Uruguayan knight in Nandes. For me... Every time I've seen Boca, I think he's the best player on the pitch. I think at this level, he looks fantastic. He's everywhere. And fair play to him because a lot of players just desperately wouldn't want to get injured. He's about to move to, to Cagliari in Italy. Um, but he was all over the place. Uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a really tidy little footballer. I would have loved him at a top-end championship club in England. Or even a lower Premier League club. Probably his level. There was talk of Leeds. Leeds were interested. Yeah. Oh, I think he would have been fantastic in the championship. Box to box, runs around. I mean, he cried when he came off. I'm still wondering, there was something we spoke about during the Gremio game, which we'll come on to later, of course, but you see it a lot in South American football, particularly transfers at this time of year. I mean, Paquetá had it uh, before going to Milan and actually eventually turned up in January. The buy them now, loan them back for six months. I'm surprised, and I haven't heard that it is going to happen. I've not heard that it isn't going to happen, but Boca haven't pushed for that with to Nandes keep Nandes right November, now, until the end of the Libertadores and to say, look, he's a key player. He's the only one in that team. Again, yeah, it was another four central midfielders picked in a midfield four. And he's the only one that seemed to stay relatively wide and actually play the wide man role, provide support and also be that man at the back stick when balls came in from the left. And he's not even a wide player, really, is he? He, he operates yeah, better centrally, but he yeah. did the job, yeah. And it's, it's interesting that I mean, certainly, Boca was saying they wouldn't be selling any of the squad before the end of the campaign, i.e. Uh, December, January. Transfer windows when, is when Europe would have to come knocking. But 
Nandes is leaving, Benedetto's leaving. The only reason he didn't play is because he's, he's picked up an injury. And, and he's another player that Boca promised supporters that they would hold on to the team to to put a, up a big challenge. They've signed as well, of course, De Rossi's coming And everything's so, going to be okay because 36-year-old Daniele De Rossi's going to... Well, they got Salvio came in and, and yeah, Juan Otado as exactly. well. Like, yeah. He's a young project. Salvio's scored and I saw him on the weekend. You saw him obviously on Wednesday. But the danger is the, is the De Rossi sideshow. And with no disrespect whatsoever, but the coach, Alfaro, said, I didn't ask for him. If your coach is saying that, it's because he knows he needs to, needs players elsewhere. Now they have brought in other players. They've brought in real quality. You know, a player like Salvio's for this level uh, is, is fantastic for for Boca. But you just wonder how the way everything's been about De Rossi in the last couple of weeks. Just how the, how that plays out. I'd be a bit annoyed as well if I was McAllister, Hurtado, and Salvio, who you think are actually going to end up being the backbone. Potentially, obviously, McAllister's only on loan from Brighton, but there is also a thought process that, uh, speaking to some Brighton fans, there's no thought in their mind of ever playing him. And what they're going to do is keep hold of him until his value reaches almost a premium and then sell him on. Um, that's not sources from inside the club. That's just what fans are thinking, heard, and all that kind of thing. But if, it, if that's the case, I mean, Boca could keep hold of him for another six months after this. And again, I thought he was great in the first leg. He's laid on the second goal in, in this second leg and, and is a wonderful player in the heart of the pitch. You'd be annoyed if you're one of those three, or all of those three, that De Rossi's getting all of this attention of what is probably only going to be a six-month period at the club for a 36-year-old who probably won't make a massive impact in an area they don't really need a holding midfielder in at this point. That's not where they're lacking in players. And these three have been brought in and they've had a nice... Hey, welcome to the club. Let's put all three of you on a podium at once. Answer a few questions. Right, off you go. Go on, crack on. It's, yeah, it's going to be really interesting because for a player like McAllister, Boca is an amazing opportunity. He's in the Libertadores. He's at one of the biggest clubs in the continent. It's a massive opportunity for him to, to put himself out there, as you said, and, and perhaps move on or, or get, a, get a possibility at playing in, 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 in England. He's only 20, so he's, you know, everything's He's got it all ahead of him. So this is a big opportunity. But and, and everyone's assuming that De Rossi is simply here just for, for the jolly and just to you know to play out six months. You never know. It'd be, it's going to be very interesting to see if he plays, what state he's in, and how he takes it. Because if he if he doesn't put in a professional you know a, a shift, then there's going to be big problems as well. And I doubt very much that's what he's come to do. But for him, there is a sense that from the outset, this is very much just uh, we're indulging uh, a former World Cup winners. You know, a fandom of, of Boca and wish to, to come and play at the Bombonera. We, we should say that Martin Blacks on Twitter said, how would you rate Boca's chances this year? I assume he means to win it. Uh, I can't see it. Last week, Nico, I asked Nico, have they got over the, the final defeat of Costa River last year? And he says, we won't get over it until we win it again, which, which kind of adds up. How do I rate Boca's chances? I really, I can't see it. I think there's better sides in the tournament. I think a lot of the Brazilian clubs are better than them. I think River are better than them. And I think Liga de Quito... Might not put them out, but I think that's close. I thought Paranaense were better than them in the group stage by a, a long way when they played each other and it was only them going down to 10 men that was the reason why Boca won in that second game at the Bombonera. Yet, Boca have battered them over two games and outplayed them quite comfortably. And I almost think at this point in a tournament, pedigree comes into it. Mentality of going to the Bombonera comes into it. And they've got a team that isn't pretty to watch, but Alfonso by all accounts, gets the job done, even if it's not pretty. And there's hard grafters still in there. There's a lot of fight still in there. I would say on the side of the draw they're on, there's only really River as a threat to get to the final. And then one game in a final, it's anybody's game. I'd say they've got one of the better chances than anybody else in this tournament. If I was Boca, I'd be so relieved. It's all Brazilians on the other side right now. Yeah, I think that's, that's you're absolutely right. I think they're... Both sides, both River and Boca, are already worried about the prospect of uh, meeting once again because there's just going to be so much riding on it. Benedetto, who's leaving Boca, to, who, the, one of the goal scorers for Boca in their final last year, he's leaving to go to Marseille. He, in an interview, he said how he respected the decision of the likes of Salvio and Hurtado to join Boca right now because he said it's not a good time to come to Boca. We, we lost the, we've lost two finals in the last, what, six months because they lost to River Plate in the traumatic circumstances that that was. And then they lost the Superliga final to Tigre. This is a side that was relegated. 
as and you know so what, what was Nico the reception was to that because uh, that happened just before we came back into Buenos Aires and kind of missed the fallout from losing to Tigre how was that was obviously received pretty terribly I guess by Boca fans I think it was the confirmation of just the effect of the Libertadores so Nico saying they'll never get over it and frankly even if they win another one it, it just will never be the same this was the biggest game in Argentine club football history there's just no, no two ways yeah, but about it. Yeah, in Madrid, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so the fallout is still happening. And so, you know, De Rossi is a result of this. Bringing, finding the money to, to bring in a player like Salvio is a result of this. And the problem is that they've got Alfaro in charge, who is, I like him very much as a coach. He's, he's a very nice guy. He talks a good game. He knows the game very well. He's very defensive, which is absolutely fine for, for Boca's culture, which uh, football culture, which is absolutely fine. What he hasn't done is, is coached a big club, a club of this magnitude before. Came from Huracan, yeah? He was at Huracan, he was at Arsenal before, who was at the time when, and he, he always spoke very well about this issue, but when Arsenal, or Arsenal, was the, the, the side of, of Julio Grondona, who was the Argentine Football Association president. So there was always suspicion there. Now, Alfaro did a fantastic job there, and he always spoke very, very well about this, this sense that there was favouritism for, for Arsenal or Arsenal. But he hasn't been in charge of a big team like this. He's, he hasn't been in this situation. I've no doubt he can deal with it. The question is, or the issue is, that it's always going to be his first big game like this. So the semi-final against River him is just going to be a test that he, he simply hasn't had in his career. Boca want that semi-final because they want revenge, right? Do River fans want that semi-final? Uh, definitely. They but want it as well. Definitely, but they're already... I've seen people on, on, on Twitter already saying it doesn't matter what happens in this semi-final because they're already, already assuming that's going to happen. It doesn't matter what happens here because we won the, the, the important one and Boca will never be able to do that. So there's this, there's, I think there, there's a sense they're already on the defensive in case, but they definitely want it to hammer home the, the point. That's interesting because I would think the River wouldn't want that. They want to protect that with beat Boca. And... But don't you want the chance... Particularly as there are no away fans in grounds in Argentina, wouldn't, as a River fan, you like the chance to be able to stand in the Bombonera and perhaps be knocking... What, a double down on the fact that, look, back-to-back years would knock you out of this competition. You'll never never be able to do what happened last year again. That has gone now. We've beaten you in back-to-back legs and we didn't even have our home leg at home. We still beat you on the other side of the world to win this competition as a River fan. It won't get better than that. that, that's That's a really important point that River always hammer home they never played at home they never played only in front of their home fans as Boca did this is all part of the mythology of, of what happened in, in 2018 so yeah I think the the opportunity to face Boca as, going back to what we said at the top of the show they've got Gachardo they're convinced they'll, they'll be able to, to go through as a Buenos Aires resident are you looking forward to the idea of a no <laughs> no and actually the second the second there was the possibility of the final quite a few people were, were starting to say uh, one of the big River Plate supporters and, and journalists who's written a few books about it, Andres Borgo, was saying, "Are we prepared for? Are we ready for this as a as a city, as a city, as a society, as a police force?" Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which they clearly weren't. Uh, so, yeah, it would be wow. What a question very, of very football match. Can, Are we ready for this as a society? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as it turned out, they weren't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the other thing, just staying on this topic of like Buenos Aires football, just for a second. Because obviously it's one game now in the final in Santiago and Chile uh, this year in November. But what about, would it ever be able to be hosted in Buenos Aires because of the intensity around Boca and River fans and then the idea of even two teams from another country encroaching on your territory to come and play for the trophy that they both fight for kind of the hardest throughout the season in their stadiums? I mean, is that... Considered even a possibility? I, I might be overthinking it too much, but... No, you're right. Someday, in the next few years, in this format, Buenos Aires will have to host, because there's, there's no other way around it. And it, it's, a, it's a fascinating question. I think the fallout still from the, the organisation of what happened last year ahead of the, sec- the return leg at River when, obviously, Boca Juniors team bus was attacked. There's still a lot to, to come out, what happened exactly, why it happened. So... it. But it's a problem. It's a big problem. I, I don't think the problem is violence is as bad elsewhere in the continent. So perhaps um, Montevideo is a better choice for now. Perhaps uh, Rio, obviously, with or Brazil with with their host of stadium, are probably better choices for now. But uh, but you're right. At some stage, Buenos Aires will have to host. 
I love how much football can make you talk about the hypothetical, right? Like the River Box semi final that is still quite a long way off. But uh, yeah, but it may. Would it be such a weird anticlimax if it was Cerro against Liga de Quito? <laughs> Everyone's just kind of, oh. But, uh, but we, a massive relief. Cared. A massive relief. <laughs> yeah. We always cared about the league anyway. It's the league that's important now, the Super League in its new form that's changed, what, six times in six years. That's the important one. Um, Palmeiras against Godoy Cruz. Rafael Vega for Palmeiras. Decisive from 12 yards. And the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. It becomes, loses out. It should be a tap in here. The ball dribbles over the goal line. And Palmeiras are cruising now into the last eight of the Comma Ball Libertadores. It's Dudu. Wedges the ball into the penalty area and finished with a plum to put the seal on a fabulous Palmeiras performance. Gustavo Scarpa just helping himself to a goal. Could be more opportunities now for Palmeiras on the counter. Dudu. That's a late challenge, really late challenge. It's a red card. It's a red card for the teenager. That's all went straight in. The substitute leaves the field of play. Agustin Manzur, well, just lost his head, the youngster. Dudu's inside the area and rifles the ball home. It's a statement performance from Palmeiras as they cruise with a swagger into the last eight of the competition. Going to the other side of the draw, and again, Windsor, your, your game from the week. Yeah, Palmeiras Tuesday. are good. They're good. I mean, Godo Cruz were poor. But Palmeiras are a good side, yeah. God, I cruise are young though. Yeah, I think they had. They, well, they did have one player over the age of twenty-five. At least like twenty-seven. Yeah, twenty-eight. 28 uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, everyone else was twenty-five or younger in that starting eleven. Garcia, the goal scorer from Santiago the first Garcia, leg, is the only one who's, who's twenty-eight, over. and everyone else is twenty-five or below. And so, you know, it, I mean, incredible. The average age must have been 22, 23. They lost, as I think we said last week, like ten or eleven players from their initial squad during this winter window in the transfer market. So they've not made wholesale changes because they can only make five anyway. But there are a lot of players that didn't play much or haven't played at all yet in this competition that are being involved either on the substitutes bench or out there on the pitch at this point for Godoy Cruz. So it was always a massive uphill battle to and take And they did on. well on the first leg. Did you do the first yeah, leg? Yeah, I did yeah. the first leg. And they, they were really good. I mean, they should have been 3 nil up or 3-1 up by half time. And it was only because they missed the penalty, which seemed like a big momentum shift, and Garcia then didn't get his hat-trick, and Palmeiras came back. And, and as soon as they got one away goal, and then obviously the second one as well, you thought, well, that's 2-2 two, is going to be a really tough one out in Brazil. They look First half, goalless, though. First half, goalless, not much ha- happened. And then after the Palmeiras penalty uh, for handball, they just absolutely battered them, to be honest. And, uh, was that, I the, didn't realize was that the dodgy... Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, Controversial. It touches the arm in the box. I don't know. It's a pen for me. But it's great to see Phil Scolari. If you're a fan of European football, you remember really well. Well, most people will. He's seventy. I couldn't believe that. He's seventy years old now. Looks identical to how he was when he. I guess he was like. (laughs) Yeah, he does. There's a great YouTube clip of him like genuinely punching someone in the face as well. I think it's about fifteen years ago. He's on the touchline. It's great. But yeah, I mean, they could win it. I think they're they're a really good side. But I mean, they spent an awful lot of money, so they should be a good side. But uh, well, it's yeah. they, they and Flamengo are the money sides in Brazil, aren't they? The ones that have spent a pretty penny. I, again, watching the highlights of that game, it just looked like Godoy Cruz collapsed, conceded the first, and then it was like, oh wow, an hour gone. This is it's one of those where they conceded the first and think, oh, we gave it a good go. We're only Godoy Cruz, and then they just collapsed. Well, to be fair to them, Goy Cruz had their best ever season last year when they finished second, runners up to Boca. Uh, this is a, it was a historic season for them. So there is an element of that. Getting to the knockout phase of the Libertadores is a massive achievement in itself. Second time getting to the round of 16. Sure. Ever. For that. Sure, sure. But, it, but, it, but for, them, for the club, massive achievement. And, uh, and it is one of the clubs that's kind of stands out for the way it's organised. They have a quite an interesting idea where they try and bring... They give a lot of coaches' debuts. So Martin Palermo, the legendary striker for Boca Juniors, made his coaching debut there. Heinze, who we mentioned earlier, he too made his debut there. So so there's interesting stuff going on at the club, but but yeah, they were is, out of their depth. Is Mendoza a footballing city? No, no, no not really, not at all. The, the, the football centres, obviously, Buenos Aires and, and the province, the Buenos Aires province, yeah. in and around the city. Then you've got Rosario, Newell's, 
Rosario Central and Cordoba. Those are the the, the centres really, but it's all all about uh, Buenos Aires. I mean, it comes, it, it changes every year, obviously, but in and around Buenos Aires, the city and and the capital itself, there's usually in, in top flight, there's usually between what, thirteen and fifteen clubs, just from the so from the city. So for wine and pottering around and and Godi Cruz. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a great trip to be honest. I'm, sign me up. Yeah. There won't um, games <laughs> next week. I'll be gone. <laughs> so Palmeiras will face Gremio in the quarterfinals. Yeah, who battered Libertad. Oh, it was just, it was heartbreaking to think. Libertad were terrible in the first leg. Absolutely atrocious. Gremio, 1-2-0, down to 10 men. And then you go into this second leg, you think, all right, Libertad have got them at home. Brazilian side travelling, maybe be a problem. Gremio, obviously the favourites, but you never know. Everybody talks about the travel in Libertadores and Sudamericana football penalty given away after six minutes and you're not meant to say as a broadcaster you're disappointed but as a broadcaster you want to see an enticing battle <laughs> you are disappointed and that when happens you're like oh this could be a long 84 minutes of seeing if there's a fight back in this Oli we, we did uh, the Gremio Universidad Católica in the group stage yeah. um, in Chile that was played and, and Gremio were I mean very, very poor so, so what's gone right for them? I can't really see much because Libertad did everything wrong over these two legs. This second leg, the Paraguayans were massively improved in terms of creative flair. They had Caceres coming into the side, back into the side, and he and Ivan Franco, who foolishly said on air, called them the Hair Bear Bunch and then the Mop Top Twins at one point, which is like, <laughs> I had fun. What's your preoccupation with hair, Ronnie? No, <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. You always miss something, don't you? <laughs> A lot. Um, and, and they went with Oscar Cardozo, who's a much better, bigger threat up front to be able to put balls down on the deck for Adrian Martinez. They obviously got tactically everything wrong in the first leg. So they created plenty of chances that just couldn't quite finish and never really seemed like a complete outfit, just lacking that final ball. And then they just shot themselves in the foot. Pires with the handball in the, in the seventh minute, sixth minute to give away the penalty. The second goal comes from Pires putting in a fantastic challenge on Everton just as he's cutting inside onto his right boot. I mean, he's like Arjen Robin. He's got one trick and no one can stop it. And I don't understand how anybody doesn't think, oh, just don't allow him inside. But he cuts inside, about to pull the trigger. Pires stabs in front of it and then it falls straight to Andre on the edge of the box and he just curls it in the bottom corner. And I think maybe he getting scoring is going to be a big thing for Gremio because they are lacking, and it's been discussed in the Brazilian press, a decent centre forward who's going to consistently get goals Diego Tardelli who's had his problem scored in the first leg and that was the catalyst for them then Andre getting two goals in this game the second one coming from an awful attempt at a clearance by Caceres and giving it away right on the edge of the area a neat bit of interplay and he rounds the keeper and scores um, but in terms of Gremio they haven't changed their style of play from that Catolica game it's just that things seem to pay off quite wonderfully for them Libertad started really strong in this competition and then faded off at the end of the group stage and have carried that into the knockout phase. Gremio, I think, started in second gear, as we saw against Catolica, have found a third gear with a bit more pace and intensity, but still lacked that out-and-out consistent goal-scoring threat, and they'll certainly struggle without Everton. But they have at least gone into a gear, and it's just two sides who are differing in momentum at this point, passing each other in the round of 16, and could definitely see them struggling against Palmeiras, who will be the favourites, which the fans, neutral fans, won't really want because I think neutral fans want to see Boca River one semi-final and Gremio against Internacional in the other semi-final. But I would imagine Palmeiras would be heavy favourites going into that. Sorry, that was quite a long rant about Gremio and their problems from somebody <laughs> no, that's good. watched them like four <laughs> times this season. It's yeah. the most airtime Gremio have got in English <laughs> ever, probably. <laughs> well, except for the Everton transfer <laughs> saga. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan. I'm so, gr- Paraguayan football is growing on me, I tell you. Olympia. He's moving to Asuncion next week for wow. sure. I've heard, I've heard the pay's good. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, aside from that, I mean, they were missing their captain, played well. Still, David Brass coming in and filling in that void. Canaman, he's one of the few players, like we mentioned Dede last week. Ah, he could, yeah, he's he a, could play in Europe. Canaman yeah. as well. Is hitting that peak. He's getting into the national team at the moment for Argentina. He's 28 years old. If he was going to go to Europe, now would be the time to get him. And um, Harry Maguire's replacement at Leicester City. Harry Maguire is being sold for <laughs> 80 million 80. 
pounds. 85. 85 million quid. 85 million. And like, okay, this is a bad, like, I don't know how Dede, Dede's had loads of injuries right in his career, but I mean, there is, when you look at some of the, there are definitely centre-backs on this continent of similar quality to Harry Maguire, who would not cost 80 million quid. He cost 80 million, that's insane. Yeah, an Argentinian national team player. Can a man, I mean, on the South American market, like 11? Max? Max. Like, that's a lot. Max. Easy. Yeah. I wonder if, I I don't know, I just wonder if the pass, he's got the passport. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've got one, he can borrow mine if I can have (laughs) half the transfer fee. (laughs) Flamengo, through, just against Emelec. Uh, I did the first leg of this, you did the second leg. Yeah, that's right. First leg, Emelec. Well, it was, it was a great story, really. Second goal, they, they were kind of lucky. And Flamengo, from what I've heard about it and what I've seen in the highlights, it was kind of an odd game, right? They came out of the blocks quick, scored two quick goals. Yeah, it, after 20 minutes, they're two up, two up and you think... It's going to be five now. Could, it could have been four. And yeah, absolutely. You thought, easy, this could be four or five by half time. But they just completely took the foot off the, off the accelerator. And they just lost their way. And it, it, it felt like they thought... They were so relieved to have clawed back the deficit, that they thought, oh, we, we've done this now. And obviously they hadn't. And in the second half, it was just completely dead. They were devoid of ideas. They had to end up bringing off the, the, the big-name players, you know, someone like Gerson, who, was, had a, who they'd signed Brazil record, 11 million euros from Roma, who in the first half was everywhere. It was fantastic. And then just really fell by the wayside in the second half. Uh, Flamengo, again, I mean, the money that they've invested is, is just incredible and they, they keep yeah and they keep spending yeah. so they've got René the left back who was the best left back in Brazilian football last season you think that's fine no they brought in Felipe Luis Atletico Madrid Chelsea national team so on and so forth Gabi Gold top goal scorer from last year with Santos bring him in what do you think of him by the way because I like him there's a I like him yeah, for I like him for, for for Brazil for Libertadores I'm I I don't know, he's got a bit of fire behind him. I know he was, he's still on loan, I think, from Inter Milan. I don't think they, they bought him, have yeah. I think he's on loan, isn't he, from Inter Milan. And I know he didn't settle in Italy and he's got one or two problems, but at this level he looks He's still very dangerous. young as well. That, that's 22 what, or Yeah, he's yeah. been around already, but yeah, he's 22. And uh, there, there is a slight issue about maybe his discipline. A few of the players in Flamengo who have the same, similar problem, but... He's he's got a lot of talent, and I mean on this level he can you know he, he did make the difference. Um, I have my qualms about the penalty. I thought it was a bit naughty, but uh, but it, you know it was given. That's fine. And the first twenty minutes they were just fantastic, fantastic to watch all over. Emelec just didn't know what to do, and but then they turned it around. And, and fair play to them. This was Emelec who were having a very bad season, uh, but just like we were saying with Olympia and and Libertad from from Paraguay, you know up, really up against it when it comes to resources and all the rest of it. Uh, Angulo had the, the centre-forward, who's meant to be leaving very soon for Mexico, uh, had just the time... The, when he got the ball... I mean, there was once he was surrounded by six players. He held the ball up and laid off the ball for, for his right-back to get onto. I mean, it was just outrageous. He's great, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's really... He's great. Yeah, yeah. If you want a focal target man that can play as well and score goals, yeah. Yeah, really enjoyed it. But And then, obviously, into the penalties, they you know, Flamengo, the quality came through. Uh, to expect, plus they didn't have to, had uh, Alves, the uh, uh, the record holder for the number of penalties saved in the Spanish league. So they had that in, going for them. Uh, but um, but yeah, Flamengo have got real quality. They'll be, I mean, you can you can imagine a Palmeiras Flamengo semi semi final, and gonna be a lot of fun. Was the approach of Emelec all wrong in that game? Because I, I was trying to watch both Boca and Flamengo at the same time with about a four-metre gap between the two small screens. You're kind of darting back and forth. But If anyone can do it. <laughs> it's the reverse cross-eyed, isn't it? Where you're just kind of both, each eye is looking out the other You're way. not watching nothing. Um, but in terms of how they approached it, it seemed like they sat back and invited almost Flamengo on from the start, or were they just poor? Yeah, I would say the, it, more than that, it was, it was big mistakes. It was just not... not, not being at the right level. Um, the second goal in particular, where Bruno Enrique gets behind the fullback. Um, There's acres of space in the 18-yard box And he as had well. so much time. And then, and then Gabi goes all alone. 
these these are mistakes that aren't to do with with tactical layout and, and what your coach has told you to do. It's just to do with, with not not tracking back and just not not doing your job basically. So so but that, that would be disappointing for a minute. They but because they managed to turn it around then they mm. managed to, to step up. So you just wonder where a bit of stage fright perhaps. I mean. Maracanã. I mean, Flamengo, 32 million supporters around Brazil. I mean, it's it's, it's insane. So to, for Emelec to go to the Maracanã, feel all that that pressure. Perhaps there was a sense and an element of that. But they, you know, they managed to hold on. They, they held on after this astonishing t- first 20 minutes. They held on, took it to penalties, which is probably as, as much as they could. And crazy pressure expect. on them as well. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. couldn't get knocked. The money they spent, the size of it. You know, they've. They get knocked out at this stage. That's kind of part of their DNA in recent years. But they, it just the possibility of them getting knocked out was just inconceivable. And what's and what's really interesting about Flamengo is not only the money and the players, the the quality of player they've got, but the coach as well. European coach. You know how you know. I don't follow Brazilian football as closely as Argentine. Um, it'd be interesting to hear Tim Vickery talking about this. But just how how the foreign coach is received in Brazil by the by the football establishment. You know, how do they feel about a guy coming over and, and, and taking on the biggest club in the country, which, which they are, despite all the, all the debate? And in the Libertadores, you know, he's already seen them knocked out of the, the Copa Brazil. So a lot of pressure on him as well. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating story this year. How's, how's that perceived then in Argentina? Uh, foreign coaches kind of coming in and taking the reins at what, what, what are foreign coaches <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> point answered fair enough <laughs> there's very there's very few there's very few especially from Europe there's just it's just not you know, if anything you've got perhaps Argentine coaches returning having having worked over yeah, there and coming yeah, back okay. but you don't really have whereas elsewhere in the continent that's what's really interesting about the Libertadores and the Sudamericana is is some of the especially the young Spanish coaches Getting ex- experience in Ecuador and in Colombia, and, and it's really interesting. You know, guys in their thir- late thirties, no no way out from under seventeen football in in Spain, go to South America, end up you know uh, taking on Emelec Rescalvo, the uh, coach in charge of Emelec right now. You know, he was at Independiente del Valle before. It's it's really interesting. He's got in th- late thirties opportunities and, and that they would never get. Just in Spain, wouldn't have, really. Yeah. yeah. So you come to South America and build your portfolio, get the experience, and then. Well, yeah. and like the number of Argentinian coaches that get shipped out around Paraguay and Uruguay and sure. ply a trade, and then I guess get a reputation of doing well in those leagues and to the Libertadores, perhaps, and then coming back to Argentina and and taking roles in Argentina. Is that more? Is there more pedigree in that? Or is, that con- or is it considered more pedigree to be managing in Argentina than anywhere else on the continent, kind of thing? Or? Frankly. When people, there was an interesting case of Lucas Romero, the midfielder at Cruzeiro, who was, when he came through at Vélez, was the next Machadano, you know, he was guaranteed. He went to Cruzeiro, big club in Brazil, off the radar. Just, you just don't hear news about them. So there's just a sense where the big clubs here dominate so much the media landscape that there isn't, I mean, there is time because there's 24-hour news channels, I love the channels, but I mean, there is so much pre-chat and post-chat about the games. It is unbelievable. But it's just about four or five clubs, you know. So, and despite the fact you've got all these coaches working elsewhere, you've got all these players elsewhere on the continent, in the world, and there's just very little, very little coverage of it. So, it, it, it's a problem. Yeah, I enjoy the mate being passed around. On screen, on set, it's unbelievable. It yeah. Not even avoiding the, the fact telly. that it's. Do they not drink tea on Sky Sports? Mm. Yeah, but <laughs> it's done in a Sky well. Sports mug, and nobody's ever sipping when the cameras are on. And people. there's not really tea in it. It's just for the yeah. 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 Whereas the mate was being passed around the back of the set, like a guy leaning over the guy who's on camera, just amazing. There you go, mate. Yeah, there you go. All right, get that. We got more water. Yeah, come on, fill it up. It's fantastic. Yeah. So they've got. Internacional in the other quarterfinal who you like them I love them (laughs) I absolutely like Olympia was my shot in the dark if an outsider's going to win it they'll win it but Internacional a couple of their group games I've done done both their games against Nacional in the round of 16 quick one from D'Alessandro into the box and into the back of the net Rodrigo Moledo what a way to bring up 150 appearances for the club Sobis, it's three against two. Guerrero, can he do it again late on? He finished it. The exclamation point on the two legs. Internacional are going to the quarterfinals at the Comibol Libertadores. Admittedly not tested enough, but they're a very good side. So tidy around the box, right? 
the, the little the triangles link play and... is phenomenal, particularly in this second leg between uh, Guerrero, Lopez, De Alessandro, Nielsen and Patrick. I mean, Rodrigo Lindoso sits in the heart of the pitch and does a dirty job that gets no recognition. Patrick will sometimes help out. He'll then just bomb forward, suddenly be playing the left wing, then he'll be playing attacking midfielder. Edge Nielsen will be the guy charging bullishly through the heart of the pitch. And then the front three just roam around each other so well. And defensively, they look really good. I, I like Vita Cuesta because he reads the play well. Rodrigo Maledo's cropped up with two goals in this tournament from Great corners. Header. Really good header for this second one uh, against Nacional to, to break the deadlock in the second leg. And Wendell and Bruno on the flanks performed excellently, supporting the attack, but defensive responsibilities, and they've got a solid keeper in Marcelo Lomba. Age is a factor, definitely, in that front three, because it, it equals about 107, I think it was, that I worked it out. But we're talking about D'Alessandro and Guerrero. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's the Libertadores. It's fine. It's, 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 <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's fine. And, I mean, Guerrero, you, you can't say he looks his age at all. His physique, his you know, the work rate he puts in, the the problems he causes for for the, you know he's not just standing around waiting for the ball to come to him, is he? Forty in South America is the European thirty. Yeah, as in you can keep playing well late into your thirties in in South American club football. I mean, last night I was doing a Sudamericana game and there was a player called Macaluso who was thirty nine and a half, was you know pushing forty. It was in Europe now, 30, you know, Gareth Bale's thirty and he's off to China, isn't he? Mm. So it's. You've got an extra decade to play with. Yeah, and, and probably you also, given just the, the nature of the tournament, I wonder if you need that kind of experience as well. You need okay. that, that, that level head. You need that, uh, that know-how of just when, when you're up against it. In certain situations, I think all the clubs have players of that age. And it, but it's just a feature, isn't it, of, of, the, of the big South American clubs. And, and as I said, perhaps something you need in this kind of competition because of the different demands, which are very different to, 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 to the Champions League, which is essentially purely athletic. Here, there's, there's other stuff going on. So perhaps that's, that comes into play. Yeah, and if you can get three players that link really well like that, I mean, experience plays into that and being able to read off each other. And Yeah, the game's slower. So, you know, D'Alessandro is found out in, in different ways or not. Um, simply not the case, obviously, in the Champions League. where. But know, it's, it is super interesting what you say about in the Champions League, wherever you play, you're playing on a nice pitch, in a nice, you know, you know, you know the circumstance around it. Whereas here, there is definitely other factors. Obviously, we talk a lot about the geographical factors because it's a big impact. And you look at the statistics of how well sides do at home in the Libertadores, and it's crazy compared to the Champions League. But to have that added experience, because there's so many external factors, is, um, yeah, it's really interesting. He had three days off after coming back from the Copa America final, doing that whole tournament with Peru, three days off, and then played in the Copa do Brasil for Internacional. Yeah, and he's, what, like 36, I think he is? He's had, he did have quite a long rest last year. Okay, yeah, true. But I mean, <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, slightly tongue-in-cheek there, but, you know, yeah, he's, it's, the, the demand is, is huge. It's very impressive, very impressive to see somebody at that age, or a number of players at that age on this continent, at that level, still doing it. And, yeah, definitely my my team to watch at this point, purely for so aesthetics. You've ditched, obviously, you've ditched Olympia because they're out, so yeah, Inter. Yeah. Quite easy to drop them. <laughs> Very easy to drop them. They've been the best side to watch yeah. that, that I've seen. They play the nicest football. They don't just grind out results, which a lot of sides just do. No. They, they go with this front three, which is certainly interchangeable all of them like to create all of them like to finish I'd be worried if I was an international fan because Lopez the Uruguayan hasn't scored since he had a little purple patch in the group stage and had two goals disallowed and should have scored a sitter at one point against Nacional just maybe a bit of confidence or lack of it creeping in after that but aside from that and they've got Rafael Sobis who's so experienced to come on off the bench who always creates something too so yeah, very complete side. The most complete side that play attractive football in this tournament for me. So that rounds it up then. River against Cerro Porteño, Liga de Quito against Boca, Palmeiras, Gremio, Flamengo, Inter. That's not, the last eight. It's not a bad quarter. Brazil no, against the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is Brazil against the rest, isn't it? It's Liga de Quito to lift the trophy. <laughs> it's not a bad shout. Boca could really... Yeah, well... Definitely. What I would say is that is not there's not a standout side. 
Like the Brazilians, like Palmeiras look really good. Inter are tidy. Flamengo spent a lot of money. River, the defending champion. There's definitely not a standout. There's not one side that have been fantastic. Head and shoulders. No. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. The only side is, is Palmeiras for the goals they've scored and, and the, probably their performances. But you're right, other than them, I don't think there's, a, there's another side that's, that stands out. Big thanks to Joel for coming on the podcast and having a chat with us about the last games in the round of 16. The quarterfinals are set then and we'll be set to give you a preview of that in a couple of weeks time before it all gets underway on August 20th. Remember, like, subscribe to the podcast as well on either iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and all good other podcast hosts too. You can find us on anchor.fm as well. In all of those places, just type Wilson and Windsor podcast and you'll be able to find us there. You can find us all on Twitter, of course. You can find myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. You have David T. Windsor, Joel underscore Richards. And if he ever decides to show up, it's Golazo Argentino. That's Golazo Argentino for Peter Coacas. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, enjoy the rest of the Commonwealth Sudamericana in the weeks before the quarterfinals of the Libertadores get going. Oh,